Welcome to the Think MHK podcast presented by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. On this podcast, you will hear about a variety of local matters pertaining to the business community. You also hear from local business owners to hear their story and gain valuable business insights. Thanks for tuning in today. My co-host for today's segment is Karen Hibbard. Hey, Karen. Hey, Jason. We have two guests with us today, which is unusual, but uh, will happen when we have multiple owners of a business. And this particular business is a place that my wife would tell you I like to spend money. That's a good thing. Yeah, we have Ben Siegel and Trey Vernon with the Manhattan Running Company. Hey, fellas. Hey, how's it going? Talk about how you ended up in Manhattan and uh, and how you ended up with uh, the variety in the variety of businesses that you have. Sure. Uh, I'll start off by taking this one. Uh, I actually grew up in the area uh, at Riley County High School. My dad was a cross country and track coach and teacher there for 33 years. Grew up in the town of Riley. So uh, still when people ask me uh, where I'm from and it's not around here, I always say Manhattan because I don't want to have to get into the explanation of where Riley is. So Karen knows what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And so I went away to school at Oklahoma State and ran cross country and track down there and got my degree. That's where uh, Trey and I knew each other in uh, high school briefly. Uh, we went on the same recruiting visit together and uh, ended up roommates for five years, I think. And uh, and then um, we both kind of went our separate ways for a while. And um, I had kind of known for a while that this was something I wanted to do. I st- actually found some stuff that I had, some notes I had made in college uh about opening a business and this kind of being what I wanted to do. And, um, I was at time in at Pratt community college coaching. Trey was, I think in Tulsa and, uh, we, we started talking and wrote a business plan and, um, we had looked at a couple different places, but Manhattan made the most sense for what we were doing. And, uh, Shopped the business plan, had three banks tell me it wouldn't work. One bank told me yes. At the same time, I had actually gone for an interview um, with another job with Penny's Concrete that was opening up a plant here in town. And uh, then I actually took that job um, because Trey was doing some other stuff. And then after about a year of that job, I called him and said, hey, I'm quitting my job here and opening the store. Are you in or out? And actually his company had just been bought out. So he was going to be being let go. And so Manhattan Running Company was open July uh, 21st, 2008. And then how soon after was the racing? Uh, so we realized pretty quickly that, uh, obviously we have a unique business that, um, not only is it like a retail business, but there's a lot of people who do events that surround it. Not every business is like that. Ours is obviously very unique in that way. And so we actually put on a uh, run, you know, was it two weeks maybe after we'd opened up the store to kind of celebrate? It was actually our first day. Like, no, it was that, that morning. No, 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 no. It was, was on a Saturday. It was, oh, it was in August. It was, so in it was August. maybe two so it was a couple weeks, weeks afterwards. Yeah, yeah. That was 14 years ago. So let's cut him some it slack. It was pouring on. rain though. <laughs> it was absolutely pouring it rain. It rained like four inches that morning for it. But we started doing it. My dad being a cross country coach helped us time it. And then we had some other, we, there weren't really many races in town at the time. And, and they, um, some other people saw us and said, hey, would you time our event? So we started doing hand timing of these events. And then eventually it just kind of grew from there. And once we, can't remember if we had like 25 or 30 events. We bought a chip timing system and then very small and then just kind of grew it from there. And now we time, uh, it's definitely a, a, a large second business that we read. used to, we just kind of had everything lumped together at one point. We eventually, my wife's an accountant and I, I believe she's the one that says, uh, you need to kind of quit commingling these funds and separate things out. And so we just opened a separate business and now we, uh, time, uh, well, this last year we timed over 200 events in about the 10 months that are really the key race timing season. So and that business is called? 
Red Dirt Race Management. Red Dirt Race Management, which is comes from maybe your Oklahoma State. That's right. Period. Is that That's right? right. Yep. Uh, I have two kids right now that go to school at Oklahoma State, and I went to school briefly at Oklahoma State, but I am a Sooner fan, but we still are all friends. That's right. Yeah. That happens. So, yeah. Trey, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, when Ben called you and said, hey, I'm going to open this business, uh, what made you decide uh, I'm going to take this leap and, and, and own a business as opposed to having a state paycheck? Well, I knew he needed my help because he had not finished his MBA, so he definitely needed my help. <laughs> he he yeah. decided that wasn't worth it, but uh, no. And who was right? Uh, well, yeah, we're both doing the same thing, right? Uh, no, I yeah, he came to me, and we had talked about it before. Um, but I I was working at Cerner for two years when he first said it. And I knew that that was not where I wanted to be, uh, sitting behind a desk for nine hours, not talking to hardly anybody. That was just not, uh, what I wanted to do. So when he said, Hey, I, I really am interested. I said, okay, I was in London at the time for work. And I said, I'll work on the business plan and you just give me the numbers that need to go in here. And in the meantime, I took a job in Tulsa thinking it would be a little bit better, but it was same thing behind a desk. And that's just not, um, not what I'm fit to do. And, uh, I, I loved running. I'm kind of a shoe geek. So it worked for me. The funny thing is Ben was the only one who had maybe what, three months of retail selling experience. Like neither of us had ever really sold anything as far as like our jobs. Yeah. I actually worked at a shoe store, uh, Oklahoma state apparel store in college because I wanted to get, get a little ex- a bit of experience with that. And, but yeah, it was probably, it probably was like three or five months. It wasn't the largest chunk of what I did when I was in Stillwater. I worked at the Carson Creek golf course longer than I worked doing that. So yeah. That's, that's a pretty good gig. Yeah. It was, well, I was just, you know, the cart guy polished your clubs when you came out and put them on the cart and got you uh, some beers for your cooler, but it was a lot of fun. So, so you guys were teammates, cross country teammates. Yep. Cross country. We came in together as freshmen and, uh, I guess I was there, what, a year longer than you? Probably. I stayed around, but. Two questions. Number one, how good was Oklahoma State when you were there? And number two, which one of you was faster? They, they're much better now than they yeah. were when we were. They would go to nationals every year, but they weren't like on the podium like they are now. So I personally, and I don't probably couldn't make the team anymore unless I was a walk-on. So I guess it was good. We were very good academically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we were better academically. They we were, were a lot of fun too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's hard to say like between the two of us, we ran different races. So I was a little bit longer distance and he was steeplechase mile. So on any given day, we went back and forth if we were running the same thing. And two, when you're, when you're in college for five years running, uh, when you're running at the collegiate level, a lot of times you're kind of pushing right up against that level of being really fit and then maybe now being injured. And both of us kind of traded off injuries a lot through college and pretty, he was pretty healthy the first several years that we were there. I was really healthy pretty, pretty healthy the last couple of years when he actually had a hip injury that cost him a lot of time. So, um, yeah, I was just, I was the, had the shorter, faster twitch stuff and he did the crazy long 25 laps on a track. I didn't realize. So this, I learned something new today. I didn't realize there were multiple cross country events. Well, no cross country. There's only one. So, um, yeah, we kind of went back and forth a little bit on that. Uh, like I said, he was injured his last couple of years or else he'd have been probably pretty close to me, but then track, he did the longer stuff on the track and I did the shorter stuff on the track. Yep. Cross country is just a great sport and will always be near and dear to my heart. And certainly as you have really competed in that's been so much a part of your life as you switched over to become an entrepreneur. Talk to us a little bit about some of those big challenges that you have in owning your very own business and how that might relate with being a cross-country competitor. 
both of us are very competitive. So whatever we do, we want to do it well. I know Ben's the same way. I don't like racing if I'm out of shape. I don't (laughs) want to run a business that's not as well as we can run it. So that would be one of the, the big things kind of, I mean, running is one of those things where, you know, you don't have to be the most talented. Sometimes you just have to put in the work. And I think sometimes, especially for the time, like we just put in a lot of work. And if you're not willing to put in the work, you're probably not going to have the product or the service that you want it to be. Um, so, you know, those two things, I think we learned from running just hard work and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, I think, I, I think one of the questions you asked there was what are our, our challenges were? I mean, I think they've definitely changed through, through the years. I mean, we started our business uh, and when we first started um, very low amount of inventory, which actually I don't even, I don't, I mean, I, I really honestly think it's by the grace of God that we're where we are right now, because um, <laughs> if we opened our store right now with, and what it looked like and the amount of inventory we had uh, on day one, I wish we would have taken more pictures. Actually, I'm glad we probably we didn't. It would have been embarrassing, but uh, we just didn't have much. In fact, when we first opened the store, can't remember who I talked to or who told us this, but I had my grandma make this giant black sheet and our store was really long when we first opened and we didn't want it to just seem like open and empty. And so we put this giant black sheet along the middle of the store and it kind of closed our, our store down. And, uh, and slowly we just, as we got more stuff, cause we opened up, uh, when we had, I don't, I don't even know, maybe it was like 70% or 80% of what inventory we were going to have. I mean, it wasn't everything. We kept getting stuff in. And then as we started selling more, we started ordering more, but you know, early on, it was just getting customers and like getting your name out there. Um, now it's, uh, I would say, um, competing with the internet and competing with, uh, uh, well, just from the store standpoint, um, having personnel and people to make sure that we can help run the store and, and have, have the amount of, um, uh, personnel we need to just make sure it's run successfully. I mean, we still have still always trying to get customers, but we're now open well, this year will be four, year 14 in July. And so, you know, it's evolved and it's grown and, and it's, it's not as much of a grind to get the customers in because now people know about us and people talk about us. And so it's much better. Sure. Certainly Ben Trey, uh, 14 years is a long time to be a business owner and congratulations to you on Thanks. that. So the biggest reward of making that decision 14 years ago, what's the biggest reward for you? I mean, it's kind of twofold, I guess. One, you get to work for yourself, which has its ups and its downs. I, yeah, I can't imagine working for somebody else now. That would be, in, I, yeah, it's just weird when you've done it for 14 years to go back and work for somebody else. Cause you know, I like to be able to make the decision and move on, um, not have to ask somebody else for permission. The biggest one for me, and I think one of the reasons that I wanted to start started with, with Ben was just helping people. Um, my favorite thing, my wife will even tell you, like when I get to work on the floor, I'm super happy. Like I will come home and she's like, Oh, you worked the floor today because that's how I get energized. And just getting to help people solve a problem. They come in and they're in foot pain or there's something going on. Somehow we can help them get to where they want to be. That's the biggest reward for me. That's great. Yeah. I mean, definitely working for yourself is, uh, like you said, there's advantages and disadvantages. Uh, you start a job. Uh, I mean, I, I talk to friends and they're like, oh yeah, I get five weeks of vacation with our timing business. And just with the store, it's obviously not that easy just to take time off, but there are obviously times a year that, that definitely make it easier. So, um, 
I, I agree with, with him just hel- helping people. It was always the most fun to work the floor and help people. Even I, I got to do that today a little bit this morning and that didn't happen as often. So it's, it's definitely become, uh, when we first opened, I mean, that's, I would say probably Trey and I helped 90% of the people that came in our doors. And now we probably help less than 10, I mean, maybe five or 10%. We have, we have really good staff. And so our roles have just kind of changed over the last 14 years. I mean, we're still doing a lot of the same stuff. It's just, everything's kind of different. So you both have alluded to this a little bit, but Trey, I'm going to start with you. Why do you believe that Manhattan is a great place to own a business specifically that's dedicated to running and to other outdoor activities? Well, I think part of it is um, Manhattan is very supportive of small businesses like ours. So that definitely helps. I mean, during the pandemic, when they did the gift card buying and all that stuff, you could really tell that people, they cared, which is important. You know, I talk to other store owners all the time and they don't have that same buy-in from their community. You know, the good thing is around here, it's, it's an interesting demographic because we have the college and then we also have the military and the military, you know, they have to work out. So that's kind of a built-in community of, of people that want to run and stay active. And, um, and then you've got some students, but you've also got professors and, and all that that goes along with the college. So I think there was a community that wanted to do all these things and there wasn't any hub for them to go, right? Like Ben said, there was probably three, maybe four races in the whole calendar year when we started. And now, I mean, once you get into times when you'd actually want to run, you could do one every, every weekend, probably, if not maybe multiple days on the weekend, you know, and it's just been nothing but support for us. That's great. I feel like Trey maybe has uh, forgotten the chamber president demographic that likes to run as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's actually, and actually uh, to his point, uh, Marvin Hackmeister, our resident 90 year old, I believe is what he is right now. He told, he once told me, and this was really cool coming from that uh, before we were, he goes, before you guys were here, there was like maybe two races a year that I could run in Manhattan. Um, I always had to go out of town and now I don't have to do that. And, and so that was pretty cool coming from him that he, he sees the difference and he likes that. And so, and he's obviously, if you ever come to any of our races, everybody knows who Marvin is because the guy is just amazing. So Ben, I want to ask you a question. Trey alluded to the pandemic. I have the good fortune or or maybe not the good fortune, I'm not sure yet, of chairing (laughs) the recovery task force. Mm -hmm. And through that process, as we discussed lessons learned and things that we uh, advise governing bodies to not do again, uh, was something that you all kind of became the poster child for, (laughs) which is closing down your business while at the same time you had competitors who could still sell running shoes and running clothes and those kind of things. You've been pretty vocal about this. Talk about how that impacted you guys and, and just sort of the general philosophy that sort of allowed that to happen. Uh, I guess I didn't realize we were the poster childs for it, but, um, well, I'm, I, we I made you the, I made the, you the, the poster child, child right? Because I would, because <laughs> I would say, look at a business like yeah, man, man yeah, and running company. Yeah. It's in, you know, I used you all as an example of what appeared to me yeah. to be unfairness in the marketplace. Uh, so, and I actually just, I don't know if you're on Facebook at all or oh, saw, I see, but yeah, I just I saw, saw a post. Um, I still have it on our wall where we were given an order to close. And so when all that happened and that, that was when the mandatory close down happened where everybody was supposed to, the stay at home order or whatever it's called, we had not locked our doors. We were not going to, again, we looked at as this is our livelihood. We're essential. So we just left our doors unlocked and people just kept walking in. Well, evidently someone told on us and I'm pretty sure that's why we got this order. Uh, I don't know how else they would have done it unless somebody 
But anyway, they came and gave us that order. So not happy about it at the time, but I'm also at the time we didn't know exactly everything that was happening. We, um, I wasn't happy about it because again, we could see other people getting to stay open, which is why now Manhattan running company sells guns and produce. So if you, when you try to shut us down again, we're good to go. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. We're not selling liquor, just guns and produce. But, um, so we saw that we didn't like it, but we decided to follow what they said. Now we didn't do that without trying some other stuff. We petitioned the state because in that first week that we were closed, I believe on their website, it said you are considered essential if you, obviously certain services, but also if you provide services for essential personnel. Well, in that first week that we were closed, we had military, police, doctors, nurses, all want to buy shoes from us. So we petitioned the state to be, to be open, be considered essential. They shot us down every time. So we were closed for five weeks. I believe it's important to follow the rules and do stuff, but I, I do believe now looking back that if, if that were to ever happen again, we would not just go along with it. I, I, I believe there's enough out there um, to be seen that it didn't really make a whole lot of sense that the biggest stores that had the most people and could stay open in our store, who on a general basis probably has at maybe most five or six, seven, maybe on a busy Saturday, 10 people in it outside of our us employees was forced to be closed when Home Depot would have 10 people rolling through the door every few minutes. So I, I think we just learned a lot about that. I also learned a lot about our customer base because like Trey said earlier, the, honestly, the response was amazing when they did the gift card thing. I, um, whoever was in charge of it, I think Blade or um, some, some of the, the other community people. foundation. Yeah, they were letting us know that like we were like one of the top businesses, people buying them. We had people calling saying, Hey, listen, I know you guys are closed, but, and I really don't need a shoe for, you know, maybe another two or three months, but I want to go ahead and buy it now to support you guys. I mean, we, even the month of, was it, was it the month of April? I think the month of April was, we were fully closed for the month of April. We did, um, probably, well, the amount of sales that we did that month was way below what it would have been. But like, if you'd have told me when we opened 14 years ago that we would do the amount of sales we did and with our doors being completely shut the entire time, I would have thought you were crazy. But that just goes to show just how amazing our customers are and um, how great the town is and how supportive they are of everything that we were doing. But to be clear, what we're talking about is, and I'm, I wear Brooks running shoes. Mm -hmm. You were closed. I couldn't buy Brooks running shoes from you all, but I could go to a couple other right. stores in Correct. town yep. and buy Brooks shoes. And because they sold guns. Because they sold a so, different so, product. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we said as part of the recovery task force is that shouldn't happen. Right. Right. And yeah. so hopefully we won't see, you know, obviously we hope we never have another pandemic, but hopefully that we get oh, in that we scenario will. again. We will have another pandemic. Yeah. Be ready. You know, we won't see small business bear the brunt. Right. Right. Yeah. So change the subject. Yep. Uh, go back to talking about some of your events because you have events around the country, but you also have a number of big events here in Manhattan. What are some of those? And, and I know you have a big one coming up. Yeah. The biggest one coming up is this, the Bill Snyder Highway Half. Uh, that'll be May 21st. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that's our biggest one. Um, we have a couple others that are into the, into the fall, but uh, the Snyder's by far our biggest. We've had anywhere from, as long as there's not a pandemic going on, anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people. Uh, really honestly planning on that again this year. You know, I, I honestly don't think... Uh, into the tourism thing. I don't think I realized until Karen uh, asked me to be a part of her board a few years ago. I didn't even really think uh, in terms of that when we were putting on events that it made any difference whatsoever. But then as I was on the board, I got to sit there and actually see the numbers. And it really became real to me, like how big events, not just our events, but other events that go on the city, how much of a difference that makes for funding, especially for you guys through the TGT dollars and, and all that stuff. So what's the big bike, big bike event you have? Uh, so in the fall, we have the Bleeding Kansas bike race. Uh, hope, hope, hope it's bigger, um, than it has been. It's, it's still kind of getting off the ground. Um, and it's not as, I guess maybe it's not a horrible event. It's not a small, a big event. It's just not as big as some of the others that are here in, in the state of Kansas. But it's almost everybody. And that's from out of town. 
Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Because that's a pretty. And the Little Apple Marathon. Yeah, little we get a lot of out of town for Marathon because they want to do, they want to get all the 50 states. And so we're one of the Kansas yep. ones. And that's November 12th this year. And that'll, that brings in, you know, we have anywhere from five to 700 for that generally. And, and yeah, like he said, I think we've had 40 states represented for that race before. Is that because it's flat? Is it, is it a flat race? Uh, Part of it. And there's just not that many that are technically in Kansas because a lot of the Kansas city ones are Missouri. They're not Kansas. So there's only five or six that actually happen on Kansas soil. Yeah. Well, certainly we have really appreciated Ben your time serving as a CVB steering committee chair. And I had heard you say that more than once that until you join being a part of the steering committee, it became very evident to you of the significance of tourism to our community. It has been wonderful for us to watch the races grow and people come in for that. You talked a little bit about 200 uh, races that you've put on. Mm -hmm. Speak again about the number of races that are right here in Manhattan. And you've talked about where people come from. What are those Besides the Bill Snyder, what are some of those other events that you put on here from the first Bill Snyder to where the largest one was? Let's talk about numbers with that. Yeah. So I just, well, for the Snyder first, um, our very first year we had like 1,520. Um, and then, um, so this one's year eight. First yeah. year we got to yeah. finish on the field was. Uh, 19, right before, before the world lost its mind. Yeah. Yeah. So finishing on the field was a big, big boost for a lot of people. We weren't sure how it was going to go because we thought it could kind of go either way. It could be better. It could be weird because then, you know, parents would be so, but it worked out really well. Mm -hmm. That was our biggest. That was 1900 and 30 or something like that. I mean, we'd love to see it get a little bit bigger. Hopefully over time. it on the field this year? That's the plan. I mean, so this is our eighth year of doing this event. Um, one of the things we do is we certified every year. Uh, so state records can be, or age group records for the state can be done. This is our eighth year of doing it. And it'll be the seventh time we've had to have the course recertified. Generally, if you certify a course, it's good for 10 years. This is year eight. We've certified it seven times. If you think about everything that's happened, the very first year we finished uh, in the parking lot on the east side. Then we finished on the parking lot on the west side for a couple of years. But even during that, even when that was the exact same construction happens, if a road gets torn up. So like right now, all the stuff that's going to happen in Aggieville, any course certifications that are going through there, if it actually changes, physically changes, like even like a curb changing to where it could be a shorter turn or something like that, technically negates the certification. So for instance, like St. Patrick's Day races are typically um, certified. Just in the last however was it, six months ago, less than six months ago, when the city, uh, the Parks and Rec changed that sidewalk that went along the east side of the of the city park. Now it kind of winds and it comes in and says just straight down. This, any course that used that sidewalk that was certified is now has to be redone. And so we've had to recertify our course seven times along with finish on the field, west side, east side, all this stuff. And so, again, this year planning to finish on the field, going to have to have the course recertified, not going to be able to go in the normal gate that we do because they're tearing up all that stuff over there. So we're going to have to figure out a different way in. So I work closely with someone at K-State and they, they've done a good job, but it's kind of one of those things where they say, well, we're going to have to, we don't know yet because of all the construction they've got going on. In fact, I think one year they were working on veneer. Like mm-hmm. I can't remember when that oh, was yeah. all done, but like, I mean, it's been kind of just always a mess. Something. Yeah. Basketball stadium and, you know, in the South, I mean, just there's always been something. Um, as far as 
races that are in town. Um, St. Patrick's Day, which has just happened a couple months ago. Yeah, that generally has over a thousand. Uh, We put on uh, two races out the cons of the Tallgrass Tribute, which is a 50K, which is our first ultra we've ever put on. And it has a couple shorter distances along with um, Conquer the Conza, which is in September. This is like our, I don't know how many years now we've done this, seven or eight or nine years. Um, It always fills up. Uh, with 300, 350 people, um, which is kind of our cap limit on that. Um, we mentioned the little Apple Marathon. Turkey uh, Trot. The Turkey Trot. We didn't, that's- It's a, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a family newer, favorite. Yeah, it's it's yeah, a family favorite. Yep. That has about a th- almost a thousand this year. PSA, if anybody sees an inflatable turkey or a generator running around, it got stolen this year. So let me know if you see that. What what other ones do we that have? Feels like, that feels like maybe a sitcom. Like the, it was like so weird. Turkey gets so weird. Stolen. Well, it was, it was in its box. It wasn't inflated oh, yet, gotcha. but I'd set it there. And um, I have video of the Dodge Charger that stole it, but I don't have the plates, so we don't really know who did it. So I'm sure they needed it more than we did. So, but th- there's a lot of other smaller 5Ks and 10Ks. Um, no, I think ours is the only half marathon in town. Um, but yeah, lots, lots, tons of options that to do, and and most of them are most all of them. I'm pretty much all of them are for some type of charity, which is great. I mean, that's, that's one thing that a lot of people don't know about our races, or maybe some people do. Uh, we don't talk about it a lot as we decided early on that that would be kind of our philanthropy arm of the store for us um, and donate money from every event to local charities. They're the ones that help us with volunteers. And over the last 14 years, we've donated uh, like $325,000 to local charities through our events. So something we're really proud of. And hopefully someday we're to a million dollars maybe or something like that to local local charities. So um, there's always, there's tons of races around and you can go on our race calendar on manhattanrunningco.com and find them all. We appreciate you making a difference for our community. And also your efforts help bring um, visitors to town. Tourism looks different to different people. And certainly uh, running is a way that, as you spoke, Trey, uh, that people are trying to make a bingo card and and punch all of their states to run in is a way that we can attract visitors into the community. Why do you think tourism is so important to Manhattan? I mean, number one, it helps almost every business. There's almost no business that isn't touched by that in some way. I mean, some more than others, right? I mean, you get a, a K-State football game. I mean, it helps us. There are some businesses that probably it doesn't help, but I mean, you just look at K-State football and what Coach Snyder kind of built here and the tourism that came along with that. You know, I know Manhattan looks completely different today than it did when he showed up. And then that's just that arm, but that's, you got to remember that's only seven or eight weekends in the fall. So you still have, uh, you know, all the other months of the year, um, what Gina and her crew do, um, down here with Christmas and then what they do down there with the hotels or they're all, I mean, just how beautiful the downtown area is and everything down here. I mean, that brings people in the, the carriage rides. It's kind of like advertising. You, you're not going to, you know, if you, someone says, Hey, we want to advertise your business. I think the newspaper is the way to go. The newspaper is going to get some people and then you're going to have TV. It'll get some people and uh, radio will get some people, but you have to have all of it together to, to affect change. And so uh, what your group does, Karen and, and the chamber and everything, it's just absolutely huge in what we've been able to do here. And, and I do think now I, th- what I think is going to happen, and this is kind of something I see, you know, before the pandemic, everybody was like, well, how can we attract people to live here and, and do this stuff as well? I think now what we're seeing is that people can work from about anywhere. And I'll be honest with you, I'd rather live in Manhattan than a place like Kansas City or Dallas or um, Houston, which we were just in just because, I mean, less traffic and the amenities that 
you have here. And so I think also if you bring more people in to live, it's going to attract more people who want to come visit those people. And then you just have the events that go along with it. And it's just, just makes all the difference in the world. We are about to go into rapid fire questions. But before we do that, I have a quick question because this is something when I started running that I was nervous about. And I hear people talk about all the time, somebody that wants to start running Mm -hmm. and they think I need to get the right shoes but I don't know where to start. You guys to talk about Trey, maybe answer this question. Talk about somebody that wants to get into running, what they need to do and how you guys can help them. Well, the first thing they need to do is come to Manhattan running company. That that was a softball. (laughs) Once they get into our store and and I'm not saying that because no, I know I I know my store, but that's where you would go in town. Even if I wasn't, I, that's where I would send somebody. Well, actually that's where actually we've had uh, Academy and Dick sporting goods uh, sales associates when they, Oh, you're a road runner. You need to go over to Manhattan running company. So we've actually had them send people out to us. So, I mean, the reasons being is one, you know, Ben and I have, both been doing it for 14 years. So if it's somebody who needs a little bit more help, our employees always know, come get us. We will help that person um, if need be. Two, I mean, we train our staff very well. We have the technology for the foot scanner. You walk across, it's going to tell you length, width, arch type, pressure points, all these things. Pronation. Pronation, whether you need a stability shoe or a neutral shoe. All of that has to be done before you can even look at the wall of shoes. But if you walk into another place, you are walking straight to the wall of shoes first and just guessing. You're just guessing. And you might guess right. You might not. And there could be doctor. I mean, it could be many things that could go wrong if you don't. So even with all the stuff we do, it's still not a magic bullet. It's still not always a guarantee that it's going to fix every problem or everything that you've got going on. If you come to us, we will do our best to get you in the right type first. But what we do most is get you in the right size and width. That is the number one thing that people don't get correct if they go by themselves because no one ever looks at their shoe size, feels if they've got enough space. Or, or knows what it's supposed to feel, feel like. like. There's a lot yeah. of people who will walk into a store and then think, oh, I'm a size 10. Or I, I tell the story all the time. I had a lady that came from uh, Council Grove that was having all kinds of lower leg and foot issues. And she walked in our store. Again, the first thing we did is size her up. She ended up needing a size 12. She hated my guts that I was taking her from a 10 to a 12, pleaded with her just to try it and told her she could bring it back if it didn't work. And she came back a few weeks or a month later and not to return the shoe, but to give me a big hug because all of her problems had gone away. And it really, I don't think it had anything to do with the type of shoe she got into. It was the fact that she just was in two sizes too small and that can do a lot of damage to your foot. Yeah. And that's just the shoe part. We're also there for anything else. I mean, I will sit and talk to people about running training plans, what all that stuff all day. That's super fun. That's part of why we do it. So, you know, the shoe is the first thing and then all the other dominoes kind of go as you get more into it. But getting the right fit and style is number one. Cause if you're in pain when you're running, you're not going to continue to do it. <laughs> and races, don't be scared if you're a beginner, no, right? No. I mean, talk about we that. Have people that walk, bit. you know, the 5K. Yeah, Karen, there you go. She walked, she walked the 5K. I didn't finish last either. <laughs> no, I was no. fifth from the Everybody end. thinks they're going to be last though. <laughs> I think, I think the thing that I want to get across, and, and again, I like to run, is don't be scared. None of us knew anything about what we were doing the first time we walked into a store. Uh, That's what you all are there for. That's what your staff's for. And if you really are interested in doing it, 
And some of us are because we can't play golf and we can't, <laughs> you know, maybe do some of the other things. It's the perfect uh, avenue, but you got to make sure that that you understand what you're doing. And it's a lifetime activity too. And if, if there's anything we've seen from everything that's happened in the last two years with the pandemic, it's your health is really, really important. And that's a very easy and fairly cheap way. If you really get into it, start spending money on a watch and, you know, Bluetooth headphones on stuff and get a little bit more expensive. But really, if you just get a good pair of shoes and maybe more than a pair of shorts and a t-shirt on a day like today, then you can get out there and you can do it and start small and work from there. I just, I can't encourage people enough. Don't be scared yep. to, to ask and don't be scared yep. to sign up. For well, part of it. Yeah. Along with that last, don't be scared thing is I know our sign says Manhattan running company, but well over way more than half of the people just use them to walk. Yep. So I know it says Manhattan running company, but we do way more with just people who either just want a comfortable shoe to live in or they walk. I know it says running. We do take care of all that's, the feet. Jason's us. the runner. I'm the walker. And in yeah. fact, I need to go because <laughs> my shoes have holes. In and them. I will, and I will tell you this, I just, there's, I'm not going to mention any brands because I don't have any chamber members that are brands, but, um, I've, I discovered a new short that has just changed my whole experience. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like unbelievable. It's like, wh where has this been the <laughs> yeah. whole time I've been running? So, you know, go in, try the products. Yeah. I think, I think it's good. All right. So Thank you. rapid fire and I'm going to do Trey and you're going to do Ben. So we'll, so we'll start with Trey. So normally we do 10 questions, but we're splitting this up sure. and it's five each. Yep. Trey, what is something you would like to try, but haven't had the opportunity? The guitar. I would oh, love really? to learn the guitar. I sang in high school and I loved it. I Give just, us a little ditty right now. Yeah, I'm not going to. It's been a while. Come on. But <laughs> I would. I where, where did you grow up? Uh, Fort Scott. So I think it would be cool to learn the guitar. Then I could play and sing a little you know, just to myself. But I think that would be fun. Kind of taught myself to do that a little bit. It is fun. Favorite flavor of ice cream? Extreme. Paul, right? Well, any ice cream is good. <laughs> but I know this guy used to sit there with the tub on the on the couch in college and just, just eat I it. I don't like I don't want to hear that. Yes. I mean, there's this is a guy. Guy who's got like like you know 0.2% body fat and you're telling me <laughs> you can't do it anymore. So, yeah, okay. so my favorite is extreme chocolate moose tracks because it's chocolate with more chocolate and then more chocolate on top of that. But that's a sad thing for me because I a couple of years ago I found out I'm allergic to casein, which basically means ice cream is out. So for someone who loves ice cream, that's I'm telling you, in college, every dinner, him and our, my one of my other roommates would they would finish up with going and just getting their tub. They wouldn't put it in a bowl. No bowl. They would go sit sit there on the couch with it and just eat straight That's out of it. That's so. being a runner, right? <laughs> Samsung, Apple, or other? Samsung. Yeah. Really? Are you a Samsung? Are you Sam? Is that on your? <laughs> no, I don't oh, think that's, that's on Ben's questions. Don't yeah. answer it. Agree. All right. First and favorite concert. Oh man. I, I was trying to think of this and I couldn't remember my first because I think it was a, a rock concert that had multiple people singing the, to it. I remember going to it in college, but was it was definitely them. rock and it was some kind of like, you know, big where there was multiple concerts. So that's the first Probably, one that I can was remember. It, was it Orange Peel? Was it, it wasn't Orange Peel, oh, okay. but I, they did it. They did a con comedian for Orange Peel oh, for I us. Gotcha. But my favorite was, and it's super ironic, was Counting Crows. They did a free concert in the Legends area in Kansas City and on their contract was to play the Pink Paradise one where they talk about paving paradise and putting up a like parking lot and that's literally what they did and the guy was like i don't know why they want me to sing this because that's what they just did but i just remember but that was such a good live concert i love con I, I have seen counting crows a couple times love it last time i saw him though it was an interesting story 
they did not play Mr. Jones. Oh. And there were very angry people yeah. leaving leaving the theater because they did not <laughs> play cannot, Mr. Not, Jones. Not play that. I thought that was interesting. Last question, texting or talking? Talking. That's the same reason I don't like sitting behind a desk. I would way rather have just a conversation with somebody. You can see their facial expression. I just, yeah. Talking. I got you. All right, Karen. Okay, Ben, your turn. All right. What are you currently reading or your favorite book? I'm actually, I've been very narrowly focused for the last three months. I'm actually three days away from uh, finishing the Bible. I started November 28th and I'm almost done with it. Uh, so I, I started off thinking I would do it in a year and I just started reading ahead and kept going. So it's probably my favorite book too. So best piece of advice you ever received. Take what you love and figure out how to make money doing it. So you've done that well. Wait, that's what we've done. So. so that's what Karen's done. Yeah, that's right. Favorite pet. I had cats growing up. I, I don't remember really a single name of any of those cats, but we got a pandemic dog. <laughs> There's probably a couple I could think of. Uh, I think there was like, we had a cat named Lily, uh, but uh, we got a dog during the pandemic. His name is Brooks and uh, he's a border collie. And uh, I would really have to say he's probably my favorite pet. There's like hands down. Yeah. Okay. Biggest lesson the pandemic taught you. Don't get too angry on that. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I would say, I, I think this is uh, true, hopefully for everybody that how, how important critical thinking is in, in our lives. You get told what right, left or indifferent, you're going to get told things. Um, but you really need to take a look at, you know, everything that's there and then make the best decision for you. Um, there's people who are vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, but you need to take a look at what is best for you and your family situation and do it. Um, obviously I don't like the way that a lot of the stuff was done, but, um, I just think critical thinking is incredibly important, not just with the the pandemic, but just with everything in life. And you've sort of answered this already, Samsung or Apple oh, or other. Definitely Samsung. I'm, I've never had an Apple product in my life outside of maybe one of the little mini iPods or something like that. So, which yeah. is funny because both of our wives, they're both Apple, they're users. Both Apple users. So is there a running reason to have Samsung nah. or is it just, yeah, yeah, I know. No, you run way faster if is you have right? <laughs> maybe there was some running great, is way easier with great, Samsung. Oh, then I'm getting it. <laughs> yeah, I thought exactly. there was some great program, some running program you have to have that's on that's I'm only Samsung. Samsung. I've heard Apple, you're you, you, with, with Samsung, you, you lose 15 pounds instantly and yeah. it's just way easier. Are so. you working for Samsung? Is that <laughs> I think we just, we, I remember when we first got our first like official work phones, we had Blackberry, right? And uh, and then who, so uh, that wasn't an Apple either. So like Samsung just kind of went in and neither of us had Mac. I mean, the- who, who didn't love their Blackberries? Yeah, that was cool. oh, yeah. Those things were awesome. The thing is, my, I have a, a uh, well, he's almost 12 years old now, son, and uh, he's an Oklahoma State guy. So he's kind of, well, I mean, he cheers for K-State too, but he's definitely gone more my direction on the Oklahoma State versus his mother's a K-State grad. And I thought I'm just an amazing influence on him, but he... Um, he definitely wants an iPhone over a Samsung. So I told him and maybe he's just, he's going with that versus just following whatever dad wants. Well, Trey and Ben, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for all you do for our tourism business in this community. And thanks for all you do for the chamber. Oh, same thing thanks to you guys. We us. appreciate everything you guys have done for not only us. I mean, you guys have been great partners with us, but just everything in, in town too. Good luck with the Bill Snyder. Thank you. The Think MHK podcast is brought to you by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. Don't forget to subscribe and like the Think MHK podcast on your preferred podcast provider, and you will never risk missing an episode. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. To find out more about today's topic or other chamber activities, please go to manhattan.org. And now back to today's show. My co-host for this segment is Karen Hibbert. Hey, Karen. Hey, Jason. So our guest today is celebrating an 
very special anniversary at her place of employment. Uh, Susan Adams, the director of the Flint Hills Discovery Center, is with us, and they are celebrating their 10-year anniversary. Hey, Susan. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. So talk about how you ended up in Manhattan and then how you ended up at the Flint Hills Discovery Center. Well, that's a long story. We could be here a while. I've actually lived in the area for over 20 years. Came to the community through my husband's job and then was a stay-at-home mom with my children. Worked at the school system at Rock Creek School District for a while and decided it was time for Susan to go out and find herself again. You know, pre-marriage, pre-children, there's a life before that. And went into um, serving as a volunteer and guest services director at Mercy Regional Health Center. And great opportunity to get back into full-time work. Loved the opportunity experience, community relationship. And while I was there, I kept thinking, okay, I'm, I'm ending my space here because I don't have a nursing background or a healthcare background. And they were building the Discovery Center or they were talking about building the Discovery Center. And being a stay-at-home mom gave me the opportunity to take my children to lots of museums and lots of experiences, lots of hiking and and swimming and canoeing. And it seemed like a good fit for me. Um, I started doing some research. Didn't know that Karen Hibbard was such an advocate until I started reading the information about the Flint Hills Discovery Center and said, I need to be a part of that. That is something I'm passionate about. I believe in the Flint Hills region. I don't think Kansas does a great job of promoting itself a lot of times. And, and I wanted to be an advocate for that message. And so just that opportunity came along and I took the first job that came open and walked through the door. And where are you from originally? Originally from central Missouri. So Susan, 10 years have flown and this is the year we're celebrating the Flint Hills Discovery Center's 10th birthday. Share with us a little bit about how the facility came to be located here in Manhattan, Kansas. Well, that's a fabulous story because the city of Manhattan, I have to give them a, a lot of credit, the city commission, um, the city staff, they were very forward thinking, in my opinion, during a time when communities weren't building, weren't growing. And they saw the possibility of expanding their community to be even more than what it was. The star bonds became sort of a catalyst for that through that star bond application process, you did have to have an attraction. And that's where the Flint Hills Discovery Center came into play. Wasn't the first option from what I understand. There were lots of discussions, lots of things that were being considered, but an attraction had to be tied to the star bond um, request. And we did request for $50 million for the South End development. And we received so much more than just the Flint Hills Discovery Center, but we are truly the anchor and the reason the South End development was finalized. And certainly the Flint Hills Discovery Center helps tell the story of this region and helps people understand the significance of the Tallgrass Prairie. Let's talk a little bit about the operations of the facility and how specifically that works. Well, we try to be as available and open as often as possible. The pandemic has affected us a little bit. I'm sure everybody has gone through something with that. Um, so we have decided to close on Mondays, which is actually a better benefit because our team, um, which by the way, is a fabulous team of employees, Employees, gives us a chance to really design and develop and program plan, clean, um, prepare new exhibits. But most often we're available Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5, uh, Sundays, 12 to 5. And then we're always willing to accommodate groups and schools to meet their needs. So if they need something um, at an earlier time or even in a later time, we do our best to accommodate. We're also a rental facility. Um, so we have lots of rental activities in the evenings and on the weekends. But your city employee and the operations are part of the city budgeting process. Is that correct? Correct. So how would you describe, because I know we 
host a lot of guests and as we're trying to describe the facility, how would you describe it to somebody who's unfamiliar with the Discovery Center? Well, if you miss the Discovery Center and you come in on 177, you obviously were not looking. It's such a beautiful, iconic limestone building. I love the abstract windows, the shapes, the style, the design. But I think that the center itself with the messaging as you enter in with the the high atrium, the beautiful high ceilings, the flooring, the terrazzo flooring with the message with the colors, the whites, the blues, the greens and browns, um, all clashing together and making the Flint Hills region. You know, it then entering into the dome um, and experiencing the sounds um, of the region, whether it's Native American culture or campfire burning or herding cattle. Um, all and the, to me, the fa- the best is the thunderstorm. If you have never experienced the thunderstorm in the dome in the dome of the Flint Hills Discovery Center, you're missing out because it literally feels like you're being stormed on. Um, and kids and and even adults uh, are automatically staring up to the ceiling, waiting for rain to drop down. They know that it is a true hands-on, um, immersive opportunity, and so I think there's an expectation that it might rain. But then, of course, driving people into the theater, the immersive um, Horizon Ranch immersive theater. Which which is truly an interactive experience, brings people a better understanding of the value and the purpose of the Discovery Center. As, as Karen alluded to the fact that we are the last continuous stand of the tall grass. People can put that off very slightly, like it's not important. It's huge. Um, what if we didn't have the Redwoods? What if we don't have the Grand Canyon? We are just as valuable and just as important and people don't always understand our value. And in, unfortunately, the state of Kansas struggles a lot of times with tooting our own horn. You know, as you asked, I'm from Missouri originally, the show me state. And in Kansas, it's like, oh, we can't tell people how fabulous we are. People come from all over the world to visit the Kansas State University, the community, but then also to learn specifically about this valuable region. We are the last stand of continuous tall grass. So you've been with the Discovery Center since it opened. Talk about your the greatest accomplishments of the organization in the first 10 years, and then talk about some of the biggest challenges in the first 10 years. Well, we're going to celebrate 10 years. There you go. That's a big one. Um, I think that is a huge accomplishment. I'm extremely proud of um, what we have done for our community and what we will continue to do 10 years further and 10 years beyond that as well. I would say being a resource for our community through partnerships, drawing people to the exhibits, um, the messaging um, is very important. And I feel like that is a huge accomplishment. I feel like we have done the job of what we were to do, um, which is to be a draw. We are the number one attraction in the city of Manhattan and have continued probably for 10 years. um, And we're very proud of that. I would say the next biggest is Kidscape, which is going to be a complete redesign of the second floor area. When the Discovery Center was built, um, you know, as we all know, funding is always an issue. It wasn't completed um, in its entirety. And it's been something that we um, at the center, the staff have been focusing on, but then also with the foundation. And so with their support and thank goodness, um, private funding and grants, um, we've been able to move forward with a complete redesign of the second floor. And we're looking forward to beginning that construction and then um, opening those doors on Friday, May 27th with a grand opening. Well, let's talk about the challenges. (laughs) Challenges to me are fun because they bring thought, excitement, ways for us to be more than we thought we could be. So always knowing that there are expectations out there by a community, by the by the people who patron our location, 
um, meeting their needs, meeting their expectations. Um, and that's a huge challenge day to day um, as not just the Discovery Center, but you in the chamber and Visit Manhattan are finding. Um, we're, we're trying to encourage people to come to our community and, and we want to be a resource for that. Um, but we also represent our community. People want something more from the Discovery Center and we're always trying to accommodate. So that's a huge challenge for us. I'd say one of the benefits as well as a challenge is the traveling exhibit space. We have a tall grass gallery of about 2000 square feet. Um, you know, if you could step back in time and rebuild, first of all, I would build a basement for storage, but <laughs> which is not possible. But also um, the traveling exhibit space is a fabulous space, but it's also sometimes a little limiting. Um, we purchase these exhibits to come through uh, for about a three, three and a half month period. And they're hard to find. It's a 2000 square foot space. And trying to stay within your mission, that can sometimes be challenging, but also finding something that will draw people to want to come in. Um, the whole goal is to have return visit. So those are challenges, but they're good challenges to have. It makes us be creative. It makes us uh, listen to what people are asking and wanting. Um, and I feel like that's our job. Susan, I love going to the Discovery Center for many, many reasons. But one of the things that I love about the Discovery Center is the ability to start your journey and your understanding of, of the Flint Hills and then the messaging that the Discovery Center shares, and that is to go see it. So it encourages you to go see, go explore, go be a part of this beautiful, unique experience that surrounds us. Certainly, you have staff but you also are very dependent on volunteers. Share with us a little bit about how someone might become a volunteer at the Discovery Center or with the Flint Hills Discovery Center Foundation. Really easy to get involved. We have a, a spot on our website under support. Um, our website is flinthillsdiscovery.org and there's an option to, to support and that is where the volunteer link is. You go online, fill out an application and then we usually call you in for an interview and we find out what your interest and time availability is. And the volunteers are key to our success. We have to have community advocates, not just in the center, but also in the community and they do both purposes for us. But there's also an advice board being a city entity. I mean, you communicate that through the city website opportunity to apply. And then also our foundation is always looking for wonderful supporters. Um, so that's an opportunity as well. And that is also found under the same link on our webpage. Volunteer program is one of those programs that meets your needs, your expectations. We don't put a lot of standards or expectations. We just ask that you give the time that you can give and we do our best to accommodate your interests and skills. Our volunteer base has given over 41,000 hours. Um, so that's a huge accomplishment. And we've seen that uh, continue to grow and rebound now that we're coming a little bit more out of the pandemic. People are coming back to volunteer. We encourage those that are listening, if you've not had that opportunity to one, visit the Discovery Center, that's a must. And if you are interested in volunteering, whether it is of your time or your talents or your money, we'd certainly encourage you to do that as well. So everybody loves a party. And this year it's 10 years. Tell us a little bit about how you plan to celebrate the past decade. Well, we're excited because it's a decade of discovery, which is really fun messaging. 
For our celebration, it began with a recognition of our friend of the Flint Hills, who our foundation has recognized since 2012. And this year, we are lucky enough to have chosen Bruce Sneed, who currently serves as the president of our foundation. At the time of the development of the Discovery Center, he was a city commissioner as well as a mayor and was a huge advocate for the center being developed and is why we're here today. Um, So that celebration is a great way to recognize and appreciate him. And and I know he has enjoyed that recognition. Um, The April 14th day was just as important. We had discounted admissions, lots of fun things happening. You got to have birthday cake. Um, Everybody loved the birthday cake and all the activities that were happening. We look forward to, if you're wanting more information, please feel free to visit our webpage, uh, flinthillsdiscovery.org, where there's always lots of details of things that are happening. But I'd say for our biggest thing in May is our opening of our Kidscape, um, which is the second floor redesign. And that will be the funnest and newest thing that is coming to the center in some time. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of kids looking forward to that. And parents. And parents. And and kids of all ages. We're going to have a digestive cow experience. So I think the education could be quite informative for many of us. So Susan, I know you know this. Karen Herbert is probably one of your top three biggest fans. um, And she always speaks glowingly of the center. Karen, talk a little bit about what the Discovery Center has meant for you as someone who has been in tourism for over 20 years and and what a difference that's made in the community. What a delight it is to be able to promote the community, but also to be able to tell the story and to tell the story well of the Flint Hills. I have had the pleasure of being involved with the Discovery Center from the very, very beginning. But there is one activity that we hosted at the Discovery Center that will forever be implanted in my mind. And that was when we partnered with the state of Kansas and brought in travel riders from across the United States. The Kansas delegation, folks like myself from across the state, were on the second floor as the travel riders came in and we were singing Home on the Range. The acoustics in the Discovery Center, even as I talk about this, it gives me goosebumps, but the acoustics in the facility were absolutely amazing and the travel riders from all over were in awe of the facility, the story that it told, the information that was gained, and then the opportunity to go and experience. As a result of the Flint Hills Discovery Center, we've had a lot of other things that have come to life that help bring awareness to, again, the Flint Hills. This was happening before the Discovery Center became a reality, but that is the symphony in the Flint Hills. One of the highest weekends that Flint Hills gets a lot of extra attention is when the symphony happens because people come from literally all over to attend the symphony in the Flint Hills and then there's eagerly seeking for more information. What a great way for us to come and for people to gain that knowledge. I love the way that the Discovery Center partners well. If you're holding a meeting or looking for an extra activity for you to do, it's a good activity for people to participate in. So, and and again, the location is people come in, they often will say, what is that building? And so to be able to tell the story again of what makes Manhattan unique, our location and this, uh, the significance of this region has been so very important for the Flint Hills. Well, Susan, I think uh, Karen said it better than than I could say it. So I'm just going to say thank you for joining us and congratulations on your 10th anniversary. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think MHK, a podcast produced by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. 
If you enjoyed the Think MHK podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe and share it out on your social media channels. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce.